thank you for joining us with these podcasts. They are designed to challenge us in the Christian faith. We hope that they do that for you. And we also hope that sometime you will join us at First Christian Church in Malvern. May God bless you. We are in another rough subject, okay? Aren't I lucky? It is chapter 7. Chapter 7. And it deals with Paul's advice on marriage. And uh, the author here is going to go back and look at the whole topic of marriage. And we will do that. We, we'll, we'll take a look at that. And, and, uh, but before we, we do this, I want to give a little bit of background of Corinth. In Corinth... Everything was about sex. I mean, everything. Even their statues that they had outside their homes. Their gods. Uh, it was encouraged sexual acts. And so this is what Paul is writing to when he writes this. <clears throat> So, with that, and, and also marriage was a problem in that a man in a pagan culture could have a mistress. A man could have a slave. They could marry a slave, but not be on equal with other marriages. So, there's these degrees of marriage in that culture. And Paul has to contend with this. You have to remember that, that Paul is a missionary going into a different culture, much like a missionary going into Africa, where uh, a man may have more than one wife, and he's trying to deal with that culture. One of the best courses I took in college, and I'll, man, I'll never regret taking it. It was a course called Christ and Culture. And it talked about the problems missionaries have in going into another culture. Uh, Paul's going to deal with this. He's, he's going to deal with this. So... We're, we're kind of, we'll get started here, and, and we're going to take a look, clear back in Genesis, in Genesis uh, 2.22. And by the way, for this particular chapter and this study, I'm using my New American Standard Bible instead of the NLT, so if my version is a little bit different... Uh, I'm not sure what he used here, but uh, I am going to be using the New American. And the reason being is it is more literal from Greek to English or from Hebrew to English. So it will read, it's a little bit harder to understand at times, but this is a very precise chapter 
And I think we need to have the precise translation. What is the translation? New American Standard. New American Standard Bible. And you just mentioned something. I mean, just by talking, it brought to my mind. Uh, last week when we were talking about homosexuality, uh, the NIV, and it is the proper, it is the proper concept, was talking about homosexuality, and your version said for a homosexual, yeah, a practicing homosexual. And really, that is the proper concept for that. Because a man can be a homosexual and not practice it. Just like an alcoholic can be an alcoholic and not continue to drink. So that, that was a good point that, that you had mentioned to me afterwards. Because uh, what Paul's getting at is if you practice those things. So, yeah. Good point. So let's look at Genesis 2.22. Um, who is the inventor of marriage? God. You know, I, I was listening to a, a, a preacher preach and said, you know, God loves animals. And my wife's ears went up because right away, boom, cats... The raccoons, Tom. Yeah, now they're bringing babies. Ah. And <laughs> I told them about our conversation, yes, yes, but it didn't go over too well. <laughs> but she loves animals, okay? If you look at the Genesis account, before Adam got his wife, God looked at the animals and found that there was nothing suitable for man. Uh, so that, that tells us that, that God cares for those animals, you know, and thought maybe there's an animal that would be suitable. But there wasn't, and so he created woman. So when we look at this, it says, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. He didn't say... Go find something, somebody. He brought her. In fact, in the modern day, uh, well, not too modern, but in most modern marriages, the father walks the daughter down the aisle. And that's done as a representation of God bringing Eve to Adam. So we find that, that he makes a woman. He didn't make another man. He made a woman. Okay? And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Always wondered if it hurt. You know, if, if Adam was going, oh, man. Something's missing. But he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Now, marriage is, is, is making a bond, but it's also causing 
a new unit which takes priority over the, the other family unit. Sometimes we have trouble doing thinking about that uh, as parents when we see our kids. I remember when Ben got, <laughs> got married, Melody cried and cried. And I said, what's the matter, honey? You're taking our family away. <laughs> I said, it's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be. So this, this new marriage takes priority over the family. So they shall become one flesh. What's that mean? Well, you, can, you can compare it to what... Also, speak up real loud, Tom. Uh, you can compare it with, with what, what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Is that, uh, that the body of uh, the husband is not, not, not his own, but it also belongs to the wife in the same way with the wife. The wife's body is not her own, but it also belongs to the husband. So that would be probably a good comparison to... Sure. To so they're committed, <coughs> committed to each other. Yeah, yeah. really yeah. committed to each other. I think it also talks about children. I think that's part of it. You know, they didn't know anything about DNA during that time. But how many of you watched the DNA... Uh, what's that, investigator? It's on television. She solves criminal... Cold case files and stuff? Yeah, she, she solves all that. I watch that. I get fascinated by that. But she can actually go through a DNA and say, well, let's go back here. And, and she can match them up and say, this is your suspect. So it's kind of neat. Uh, but one flesh. And it says... Uh, and the man and his wife were both no naked and were not ashamed. What's that mean? They were still in a state of innocence. They were in this innocence. Now, that is the base model. It is really important that we understand that that base model was before sin. Because sin is going to come into the picture and really going to mess things up. And uh, so we look here. They had a similar nature. Uh, it was one man and one woman. The original basic model was that. Not man and man or woman and woman. Uh, and of course the first priority was this union of the two. Now isn't it interesting that we have Adam and Eve and no mother and father. And yet it says in Genesis that you'll leave your father and mother. So that was the original plan. Even though Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother. Except, you know, the, the, the Lord. So 
But that was the plan. That was the first priority. And it was exclusive. I mean, wow. No other place in the kingdom of animals and that kind of thing do we have that type of situation. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, there was no shame whatsoever, no shame. So sin comes into the world. And sin affects everything. And sin affects everybody. Can you imagine what it's like to live without the effects of sin? I, I can't. I mean, we've, we've just been affected. My life has been so affected by sin that I can't imagine living life in an environment without sin. And so God is going to give some boundaries to help us along with what sin does to us. So he takes Moses. And he gives the law. And so Moses then has this model of marriage that he deals with. And uh, man's sins, sin weakens the base model. We got to understand that. Sin's just messed up everything. Everything. Anything you can imagine. Now, in Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 and 2, uh, God lays out what happens when sin begins to destroy a marriage. Here's what he says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. <clears throat> and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. Now, let's take a look and, and piece this a little bit, okay? Here's a man, he marries his wife. Now, and he's really upset because he has found some indecency in her. Now, during the time of Jesus, the rabbis debated and debated this idea of what was the indecency. You know, some were so liberal, they said, if she burns the toast, so to speak. You know? And uh, I don't think that's... It. My wife made, made a lot of burnt offerings in our 
lifetime. And I have made even more because I don't cook. I cooked a pot pie for about four hours one day. Forgot totally about it. So uh, it's just I get busy doing things, and my mind's not on cooking. But this indecency, if you look at the Hebrew, and Jesus is going to nail it when it comes to him, the indecency dealt with a sexual immorality, a fornication. Okay? So he says he writes her a certificate of divorce. Now, why does he do that? To make a legal separation. To make a legal separation, so what? So she could get remarried. So she could get remarried. I mean, that, that is the idea of the certificate. He's not putting the letter A on her and saying, you live this for the rest of your life, there's no grace. He's giving her a certificate so that she can remarry. Tom. I think uh, the only reason why God allowed this because of the hardness of heart. Sin. Yeah. That's why this is being allowed. Because sin has messed up things, and you have got to start new. So, she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. That means that is permissible in the Mosaic Law. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and, she's, and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies, who took her to be his wife, in other words, she's getting divorced again, okay? Then her former husband, the one who first divorced her, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife. And so you would ask, well, why? He explains. Since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which your Lord, your God, gives you as an inheritance. Now, why would God put that last clause in there? I mean, she's, she's been married, divorced, married, divorced, and goes back to the first one. I'm just, before you go any further, why would that even be a necessary thing to say? Why would she even be tempted to go back to the first one? And if she would, why would he even want her? Yeah. You know, there are sometimes children, or after you get out of a marriage relationship, you realize after you marry the second guy, the first one wasn't so bad. <laughs> but in this particular case, I think because God had a covenant relationship with the people for the land. Sure. And everything with the Lord was about obedience. And so 
in this particular case, your marriage is a covenant relationship. If she's going away and she's indecent, she's, she's disobedient to your marriage relationship, why would you take that and back. back? So I think it's kind of symbolic of what the Lord is saying. Although the land inheritance, that was without conditions. Yeah, right? we'll, we'll hit that because, yeah, you're right. There is conditions with the land inheritance and uh, depending on the tribe and things like that. Well, but wasn't, wasn't, isn't that kind of slavery for her? Yeah, because you know, you, sure. she is being used. You don't know what he did. So, he, you know, he could have just got tired of her. Yeah. Or, and then passing her. I mean, she had the right to marry, but... Well, that's how they thought of women back then, too. But I can understand what the Lord's saying. But She had no her. source of income, so she might turn to him. Yeah. In this particular case, when you said that he finds something indecent, you said the original interpretation that sexual immorality. Yes. So there's a problem there with her because this has happened twice. Now God has protected that first husband because she's got a problem. She is loose, if I can put it that way. <clears throat> and let's, let's read this last part. You shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. They cannot permit this looseness. It is the prostitution and all of that that was going on that caused Israel to marry the pagan women who were loose and prostitutes, which caused them to uh, be rejected by God, which eventually caused them to leave the land and, and be taken off to Babylon. So, what Moses is saying is this affects everything. Now, I, I've never been able to truly understand why the Jews argued the indecency thing when it's clear. But, and Jesus knew it was clear because he defined it. So, here we have that. Sexual sin is established as a valid reason for divorce. I remember um, had a cousin. He was a fantastic pianist. And he had divorced, well, the circumstances was, he was also sort of sickly. And while he was in the hospital, his wife divorced him. He, was, he had an ulcer and he was having a third of his stomach removed. And his wife divorced him in the middle of it. Well, he was a cousin by marriage because he met my other cousin by blood. And they got married and the minister wouldn't marry them. And I wondered why. So I went and talked to the minister, our minister. And I'm a, a, a whopping 16-year-old. And uh, I wanted to know why. And he said, because 
because he's still married to the other. I said, wasn't he given a, a certificate of divorce? Can he help it that his wife divorced him? Should he never ever be married again? Is he not allowed? Well, about a month after we had our talk, he married a divorced person <laughs> in our congregation. And I remember having to struggle with this, this whole issue at a young age. And my parents weren't divorced or anything. That wasn't, but it, it, it affected our family. So I thought, I'm, I want to get this in my brain so I understand it. Sexual sin is established as a valid reason for divorce. Well, the question was, was there a sexual sin there with her? That she would divorce him while he's in the hospital. One, uh, like a lot of the leading uh, Christian psychologists, uh, you know, talked a lot about this too. And uh, one, one area they stepped outside of uh, what it teaches in the Bible is, uh, is when it comes to uh, abuse, whether it's, a woman, whether it's a husband or the wife, in uh, substance abuse. Whether they take drugs or not, then they feel it's a valid reason, you know, for to divorce. avoid being battered and, yeah. and so forth for them to, you know, to separate and get away from their wives or their husbands. Right, right. Yeah, you have to deal, that's a whole other issue. Right. But in the case of my cousin, she went on to marry many different people. And I think... She broke the vows that she had made. She was unfaithful in that way. I think, uh, I think it's kind of great that it says some indecency because to me that deals with a lot more than just adultery. So, now we come to the Gospels. Oh, the good old Pharisees, they're trying to trick Jesus because they know that this is a controversial topic. So they come to test him in Matthew 19. And Jesus answers that question. He also says it was not that way from the beginning. Meaning it wasn't meant to be that way. But sin came. And sin has happened, and we live in a, in a world that is surrounded by sin that affects us. So, he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, he kind of put a different twist on it, didn't he? You know, this guy just wants to trade in for a new model. That's, that's what he's thinking of. And Jesus says it's got to be, uh, except for immorality, it's got to be an immoral thing. 
Now, does anybody have a New American Standard? No? Matthew uh, 19, 9. <clears throat> there's, there's kind of an interesting Greek word there for immorality. Uh, it deals with a sexual immorality. Uh, some early manuscripts said adultery. Uh, and some added, uh, some manuscripts added, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, now that does not mean, number one, you've, give, you've been given the certificate so that you can remarry, right? Is that true? Right. So, Jesus tries to get back to the idea of this sexual immorality. He tries to deal with that whole issue again. And he, you know, he said, verse 8, look at verse 8 if you're in Matthew 19. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, which means you sin, okay? Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, that is when there was no sin, it has not been this way. In other words, Jesus is saying marriage was meant to be a lifetime thing. And, and so he tries to deal with that in an honest and upright way. Jesus added nothing new to the teaching of the law. He clarifies it. And that's important. You know, we, we are funny creatures <laughs> because we see divorces happening galore for any reason, just going on and on and on and on. And we talk about how bad that is. You know, oh, that's, that's horrible. And yet our society says it's okay. So we are, we're funny creatures. You know, see what sin does to us? It just really messes us up in our thinking. So the apostles had teachings on this. The apostles added teachings not found in the Gospels. And they were able to, to do this because, number one, they were given authority, right? And we follow that authority. They had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They had various gifts. And they were organizing the church. So they were allowed to speak on that behalf. That's why we find Paul. Uh, John mentioned something in John 16, 12, and 13. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What that is saying, there's a lot of things that aren't written in the Gospels. 
And so they clarify some things in some of their other writings. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. There's times we have to just rely on the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? I remember a, a man coming to me and he says, Mark, I'd like to get married. And I knew his bride-to-be, and uh, she was a sweet person, still is. But he turned to me, he says, I've been married and divorced. I said, oh, okay. So I said, what was the circumstance of your divorce? She was unfaithful. I said, okay. I said, sin does a lot of things. So I married them. About a month after they were married, he said, will you go visit my dad? He is in the hospital and he's dying. I said, sure. I walked into the room. I said, hi, I'm Mark Black. I'm from such and such church. He said, you... I said, what? He says, you're the one that married my son to that who destroyed his marriage. I was devastated, you know. I thought I had asked all the questions. I thought that this was right. Now, I don't know what the perception, whose perception was right. And there are times that I have to rely just on God's grace and God's Holy Spirit to help me. Maybe that was the case, maybe it wasn't. But you know what? Sin messes up things. Any way you look at it, it messes up things. So, they are still married, okay, and are happy. Look at John 16, 14, 15. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Sometimes we have to rely on God. Please give me insight on this. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say, to, uh, say that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Sometimes we, we can't read thoughts. We can't read hearts, can we? So we have to ask God to, to help us. Uh, Paul's teaching about marriage. Now, Paul gets a real bum rap saying that he didn't like women. That is absolutely false, and I'm going to explain in these scriptures why it's false. Uh, there is a theory that was done by a particular theologian that became very popular among the feminists, and that theory dealt with the idea that Paul didn't like women. We're going to look at his statements, at Paul's statements. 
Celibacy and marriage are both blessed. Paul believed that. If you're a single person, you're blessed. Okay? If you're married, you're blessed. Okay? Both. We will find that from Paul. Look at uh, chapter 7 and let's read uh, in 1 Corinthians. Verses 1 and 2. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. Okay, here we go. We don't know what they were, but we're going to have to guess at it. Okay? It is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. What is Paul talking about? Since you're, since you're going to, since there's a lot of sexual immorality, and men and women can't keep from being attracted to each other, then go ahead and marry one and stay faithful to her and she'll stay faithful to you. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's the key thing to self-control is how to handle attraction. Sure. That's, that's the whole thing that's being addressed right here. He says, it, it's good. Paul felt it was better really not to marry, but you know, he says, because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife, let each woman have her own husband. He was saying, you don't grab a bunch. <laughs> you just stay with a husband okay, or a wife. But isn't it interesting? I watch a lot of nature, nature shows, animal shows, much like your wife and so forth. And human beings are the only species, the only living things that honor, that have this particular rule or this particular uh, parameter. I mean, you, you watch every every animal of every kind. The male, you know, they, they fight the other male for, for the right to have their harem of numerous females. But isn't interesting in our in our culture. We're the, only, we're the only ones that have to have one lamb, one husband. <laughs> but there's obviously a good reason for that. Today's our anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> all right, that's good. It's yours too. All right. <laughs> how, many, how many for you? 43. Oh my, we're, we're a little behind you. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm curious though. You know, because a lot of people will go back to the Old Testament with David and Solomon, and you know, who had multiple wives, and yet the Lord said David was a man after his own heart. And obviously, we know the Bathsheba story, he did this to that, blah, blah, blah. But yet, he still had other wives. Yeah. So, so why did God allow, I and mean, why was that not really addressed? He allows it, but he doesn't like it. Okay? David's alliances like Solomon, his son. Solomon learned it from David. That he could make certain alliances by 
having a wife from this area, that area. And so it was done for political reasons. Now, he did have children from some of those. Okay. I don't know how many children Solomon had. I'd like to research that. I know. Yeah, three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines. Yeah. I mean, uh, but that God never sanctioned that. In fact, in Deuteronomy, Moses warned about a king, and he said, "They will through." I mean, God through Moses, he he said that the king will take your sons and daughters, and will take your daughters. He gives that warning. Uh, it's always been God's plan for one man and one woman. It's always been God's plan. And the things that the kings did were not necessarily right. But God does permit us to make our mistakes, does he not? And that's kind of my answer for that, Kathy. Uh, there's some hints about how wrong it was, especially when they write about his wives uh, led him astray to pagan gods and, and that kind of writings. When we see the sin of his children, too, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just it's always been interesting because you, know, you just think that prophets at the time would have spoken through God, you know, about how long this is. And you don't really hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's... But, you say here, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, and, and that's dealing in a sexual way. And now mine's it's good for a man not to marry. Yeah. There, yeah. It also has and, a footnote then about sexual uh, sexual relations. This yeah. Footnote years. And you have to. I think Paul starts this off because they would have sex with anyone. So first of all, he says it's not. It's good for a man not to touch a woman or have sex. Nine states do not have sexual relations with the woman. Yeah. Paul is going to promote celibacy or living single. He's going to promote that. But he's going to promote also proper marriage. So let, let's move on. Let's take a look. He says, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Okay. They had this odd thing rules sometimes that you would be more spiritual if you didn't have sexual relationship with your husband and your wife, okay? So you would be more spiritual. Paul's giving a warning here. By the way, I didn't know this, that, and I don't think it was followed, but the rabbis made a rule that uh, you could not have sex in Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> you would defile, you would defile the city. 
I don't think anyone ever followed that, but that was one of their rules. Uh, this, this is interesting. He says, now wait a minute. He said, you're trying to live without sex and you're not handling it too well and you're depriving your wife or your husband. He says, the wife does not have authority over her own body. Stop there. Yeah, I like that statement. Okay? No, read on. But the husband does. Oh, I like that. Read on. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What's that saying? I'm allowed to tell Tommy he can't eat potato chips. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. He's saying, you know, the two of you are one. You are one flesh. So act like it. Respect each other. Understand each other's urges. So he goes on, stop depriving one another. There was a group of people that thought, I'm more spiritual if I don't have sexual relations with my mate. He says, stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Agreement. Agreement. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul, Paul says, are you stupid? He said, your lack of self-control is going to get you in trouble. So don't do this for months and months and months. He says, but I say this by way of concession, not of command. What did he mean by that? He's just uh, suggesting that it's, it, suggesting it, it, you know, just making it as a suggestion instead of uh, making it command. It's uh, up to the married yeah. couple themselves to, uh, if they are in agreement to, to, uh, yeah. to do that. You can't find a commandment that says that, right? Thus saith the Lord. He says, I'm, I'm saying this as a concession. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Now that is a loaded statement. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in that. Was Paul single? Was he always single? I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think so, if he was part of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. And it mentions him as part of the Sanhedrin. 
So there is this question. Did Paul's wife leave him? Or did she die? Or did she die? We don't know. We don't know the answer to that. But we know that he is saying that he is single at this time. So, he says, but each man has his own gift from God. You may not be able to live that way. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it's good for them if they remain even as I. Now, why would he think that? Why would he say that? Doesn't it have something to do maybe with this idea of being married to God and being married being married to a spiritual entity as opposed to a human? All your time, all your devotion is to God itself. I think that's why the priests and the Catholics, you know, I've heard things about, you know, you don't marry because all your focus, all your energy is to God, and that's your spouse. And everything you do is for that spouse, not this one or that one. So it's good. If, you're, if you've been uh, a widow, stay that way. If you're not married like me, that's good. That, that's the best thing because all your energy can go to God itself, not another sure. person. Sure, and I think that's it. The, the work that they're doing. Every Christian is to be a minister. And if you're not tied down and you're not worried about your children, your family, providing then you can go and do these things. Uh, Peter was married too, you know, at one time. Don't yeah, know what he happened. Was, he was killed his mother-in-law too. Yeah. So, he says if they don't have self-control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. I think that there were some people. Now see, we, we're only here in Paul's side. But I think there's some people there who was teaching the idea you shouldn't get married, Jesus is coming. I watched one of the weirdest shows, and I've mentioned this show before. <clears throat> I think it was Eric was here, and I mentioned this show. He said, what on earth were you? I cannot remember the name of it. But this woman was so determined. She was married and had a child so determined that Jesus was going to come that she stopped making the house payments and she stopped paying the bills and she knew that Jesus was going to come this was out in the west to the wilderness so she takes her child and leaves her husband with all the bills and everything and goes out to the wilderness in a tent. There's no food out there. The child is dying. And so she decides, <clears throat> child will go to heaven. So I'm going to kill the child. Put the child out of their misery, kill them. And the child can go to heaven. And then I'll kill myself. Well, then she stops. If I kill myself, I won't go to heaven. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> it's a weird movie, isn't it? 
But you know, I got to thinking about that. That's how sin works. It just distorts our whole thinking. And I think that there were some people during the time of Paul that were saying, don't get married, Jesus is coming. And so they had a hard time dealing with their passion and things like that. Now, it says, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, some of the uh, translations, I think King James says, than to burn. And I had a friend that, that said, uh, that means hell. Uh, no, it's, it's talking about passion there. So, Paul's teaching on marriage. Celibacy and marriage are both blessed. Number two, keep the lock in wedlock. Keep the lock in wedlock. How many of you have used that term wedlock in your lifetime? Anybody? It's a term we don't use anymore. But wedlock. You, you could, many times we heard the phrase, she had a baby out of wedlock. You might have heard that phrase. Uh, let's, let's go on. Here's 10 and 11. But to the married, I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. Paul is going to go back and forth and, it, forth, and it gets kind of hard to decipher what the Lord says and what he's recommending. Okay? But he says... Uh, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Now, that's talking about leaving. It's not talking about divorce, right? So they're separated. They're separated. Okay, you didn't divorce but you left. Now, we're going to get into another area of a believer and an unbeliever. Because that comes into question. But this person here, she, she leaves, okay? She's cons uh, she must, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the husband should not divorce his wife. Don't divorce the wife. There is a hint that maybe one's a believer and the other is not. Now, you're coming into a culture. Nobody is believers. And I come up to Barb, and Barb believes in Jesus, but Herb doesn't. And so the question comes, do I leave him? Because he's making life miserable for me. So, this was quite common in Corinth because of new believers. So, Paul's teaching is Christians remain married to Christians. They stay married. Or this idea that, oh, it would be better if I, if I divorced my uh, wife because I would do better in celibacy. There's all kinds of scenarios here. Christians married to Christians. Stay married. Separate for a time. Return to your spouse. 
Christians married to non-believers. Now let's take a look at that. That was kind of the scenario that I mentioned here. Look at verse 12. But to the rest I say, not the Lord. Now he's saying this is my opinion. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. We got that? I'm getting glassy looks. <laughs> and a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Let's stop right there. Does that mean he's saved? If he's an unbeliever and he's married to a believing wife? No. What does sanctified mean? Set apart. Set apart. Because you see, what happens is this wife who is a believer and the husband who is a non-believer, she might influence him to become a believer. He is set apart in that way. She is set apart to be a witness to her husband. And he is kind of set apart because, boy, she's going to work on him. Now, let's read the second part. For otherwise your, your children are unclean. What is that? But now they're holy. Yeah. And if the rapture comes, those children will be taken, but children of non-believers will not be taken. That that may be so, but I yeah, that is so. But I think what they're saying here, your children are unclean. They're they're non-believers, but now they are holy. Why? Because they have that witness to them. They have that mother that's telling them about Jesus. And they are now being influenced in the holy way, not the unclean way of paganism. Paul gets confusing, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He says, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, a wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, or husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, Paul is later going to say, don't be unequally yoked. That's why I always said to my kids when they were dating, are they a Christian? Because this gets into a real mess. And that happens because one's going to influence the other. And that tension is always going to be there. So 
That's Corinthians 15 and 16. So, Paul's teachings. Christians married to Christians. Christians married to non-believers. They are to stay married in peace. And they let the unbeliever go if they go. Okay? Now, there's nothing there about a certificate, is there? Of divorce. It says if they go. Now, Alexander Campbell made a comment. He says, it seems to me that in all the cases of voluntary desertion on the side of the unbelieving party, the marriage covenant is made void and the believing party is to the, is to the deserter as though they had never been married. Now, that was Alexander Campbell's thought on that. My thought is, you're still married. <laughs> That's my thought. I disagree with Campbell on that. Uh, so, marriage is normal, but being single and devoted to the Lord has many advantages. Would you say that? Sure. There's never a divorce where there is no sin, there is no pain, there is no guilt, there is no sorrow. I remember uh, talking with a woman said, I cannot wait to divorce my husband. I can't stand him. And she divorced her husband and the pain she went through afterwards and the guilt she went through afterwards with her little daughter just ate at her. She, she, uh, she never did remarry. But sin just causes all that, doesn't it? It just causes all of that and a disruption. Nice lesson, right? <laughs> It is a lesson that is very, very hard, but it is, you, you get an idea of what all Paul had to deal with in that pagan society. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope that you will join us at First Christian Church of Malvern, which is located at 4046 Coral Road, Northwest in Malvern, Ohio. May God bless you and have a great day.